welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin. I'm a junior doctor working in London and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today I'm joined by Professor John Patricios, a South African sport and exercise medicine physician who has extensive experience of working in rugby union. He has a special interest in concussion, having written the concussion protocols for the Boxmart Injury Prevention Programme, and he is a member of the World Rugby Concussion Advisory Group. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Um, as a pitch side doctor at the elite level, um, for those listeners who might not have access to the same, um, same resources and might not have the same experiences as yourself, what tools do you have as an elite doctor that could help pick up a concussion at the professional level? And what could we see at the Rugby World Cup this year? So I think the first comment I'd like to make is that the information and most of the resources available to professional doctors or doctors supporting professional teams are available to anybody who has an interest in concussion and player welfare. And those are accessible uh, freely through the, through the internet. The Concussion in Sports group has made several tools available. And the most important tools are the Concussion Recognition Tool, which is really a layman's guide to recognizing concussion. And the Sports Concussion Assessment Tool version 5, or the SCAT 5, and the child version of that, which are, are freely available. And from a rugby point of view, these tools have been modified to become accessible to the general public and to medical personnel who want to support rugby at any level. And as I mentioned earlier, the player welfare website of World Rugby has a number of learning modules that one can go through and upskill oneself in terms of field side care and head injury management. So you're quite right, experience is one thing, but certainly the tools are available. And those are the same tools that uh, most medical professionals supporting high-level and elite teams will use. Perhaps the slight change or the difference is some of the technology available to doctors on the side of the field. And I think at the World Cup, as we have seen in the last couple of years, you will see an increasing use of video technology where there is a dedicated match day doctor that's reviewing video analyses to make sure that head injuries are, are picked up or potential head injuries are detected. And then that head injury assessment or HIA protocol is triggered, uh, which is not uh, the same as it at amateur level. It's very much a professional intervention because it requires a specific number of resources to support that process. But I think you're going to see a very efficient implementation of that HIA protocol to make sure that the net is, the net is spread quite wide to detect potential head injuries and make sure that those players are removed from the field, assessed properly, and are, are protected uh, you know, for their own sake and for the sake of the reputation of the game of rugby. For those who might be unfamiliar with professional rugby and you it doesn't, you only have to watch a few matches now at the professional level and you'll hear the term HIA being banded around. Um, from a, a practical point of view, what does this consist of and when does it come into play? 
So I think what's very, very important to emphasize is that the HIA is not just a field side assessment. It's a process that's triggered when uh, a head injury is suspected. And when that head injury is suspected, the team doctor or the match day doctor uh, or the referee may trigger this process where it is recommended that that player is removed from the field and is assessed in a, a quiet environment, uh, usually a change room or medical room type environment, uh, for a 10-minute period. And they're put through a process where the doctors have a, a much better chance of detecting or discerning whether there has been a potential head injury. And that really uh, is a, a series of, um, of assessments involving some questions which are based very much on the sports concussion assessment tool type of questions to detect whether there are symptoms related to concussion. There is a, a, an examination process that looks at potential issues related to concussion such as balance and a basic neurological screen and there are some cognitive tests which are done as well to check whether the patient's memory and response time has been affected and if that patient if the player passes that he's allowed back onto the field if there is no, if they don't pass that process then they are kept away from the rest of the game what i'd like to emphasize is whether or not that player returns to the field that HIA process continues into a phase two and a phase three. So the HIA two takes place uh, as a medical evaluation performed by the doctor within three hours of the incident. So usually immediately after the game. And the reason for that is sometimes concussions can evolve. So a player may not uh, present with immediate symptoms or signs of concussion, but they may evolve over time. And then there is a third assessment that is performed 48 to 72 hours after the incident, uh, again, to assist with the late diagnosis of concussion. So that period where a player is removed from the field for 10 minutes is really just the beginning of the process. It's continued over the next two to three days. And that really follows the guidelines of the concussion in sports groups, uh, international protocols, which is really to say, that concussion evaluation is a serial process. You no longer just make uh, a call on the side of the field. Uh, that call is made several times based on evolving criteria. Sure. And let's say someone fails their HIA during the match. Um, you've diagnosed them with a, with a concussion and you're going to go through that process with them after, after the game. Um, what do you tell that patient after the game? Do you ha have you, over the years, found that a specific form of advice? Do you go through any kind of protocol with them in the immediate post-concussion period? Or is it just a case of rest over the first, first few hours and days? So one of the areas that we've really changed in terms of our concussion management is how we intervene in the cases of diagnosed concussion. So the days of pigeonholing and just saying you're concussed, you're out for three weeks or two weeks or three months or whatever the case was, have gone. Now the emphasis is very much on individualizing player treatment 
and making sure they get back to the game when it's safe to do so, but as soon as it's safe to do so. And one's able to do that by instituting the highest level of care possible, what's been defined as an advanced care setting, where you put a multidisciplinary team around that player to make as informed a decision as possible in terms of return to sport, and also to give that player the best treatment in terms of trying to address the various domains that may present as a result of concussion. So in simplistic terms, 20 years ago, you were probably not diagnosed as concussed unless you lost consciousness uh, or had amnesia, loss of memory. Now we recognize a whole spectrum of symptoms, at least 20 or more of them, which may be associated with concussion. And we know they may present in one of several domains. So those might be physical symptoms, they may be emotional, they may be vestibular, balance-related, sleep-related, uh, a whole spectrum that we need to be able to evaluate and assess. And the reason that's important is that if one assesses which domains are presenting predominantly, then the medical team, the multidisciplinary team, is able to institute specific interventions. And that's where the biggest change has occurred. So to answer you directly, we no longer just rest players. And in fact, we used controlled and graduated exercise as a very specific intervention, because we now know from uh, research which has been published over the last five or six years that exercise exposure might actually help speed up recovery. Similarly, there may be specific interventions for those players that are presenting with physical symptoms re related to uh, neck-associated injury, for instance, where physiotherapy may be a specific intervention. And for those presenting with balance or vestibular issues, there are specific physiotherapy-guided interventions which have been very successful in speeding up recovery and addressing those symptoms. So my answer to your question and to the player who's recently been concussed would be to say, in your particular case, these are the particular symptoms and domains that we think you're presenting with. And this is the plan of action that's going to be put into place over the next few days in terms of rest or relative rest, in terms of a graduated exercise program, and in terms of the medical professionals who are going to have an input into treating your specific symptoms uh, to try and not only allow you to recover, but to get you back when it's safe to do so. And to make sure that all of those symptoms and signs have been addressed, because we know that if we don't do that, your risk of firstly concussion, uh, again, is increased. And secondly, your risk of other injuries, musculoskeletal injuries, is increased by about 60%. Um, what are the common pitfalls you, you might encounter when it comes to returning a player after a concussion? So I think the pitfalls really come about from not educating uh, players and their support teams adequately. And the reason I say that is if there's not specific education, firstly, you're going to miss certain concussions, but also, if people don't realize that you're putting the highest level of care around the player to make sure that they are actually getting back to the field as soon as possible, 
you lose the confidence of a lot of important role players, including coaches, players, and parents. So that's important because you don't want players and parents and coaches fighting against the medical process. So I find one of the important areas to address and to avoid those common pitfalls is before you even uh, diagnose a concussion is to institute an education process to say, listen team, we're all actually on the same side here. We want to get the player back as soon as possible. We want to get him or her back uh, in the best state possible to make sure they perform adequately for the team and also avoid the risk of injury. So my first comment would be to start the process well before you assess the first concussion and that education intervention is very, very important. The next common pitfall is to not individualize treatment sufficiently. So if you don't individualize treatments, then one of two things is going to happen. Some players are going to go back too soon and other players are going to be kept out of the game unnecessarily. And so it's very important to try and have as an advanced level of care and multidisciplinary assessment and intervention as possible to avoid that happening. The third important aspect, I think common pitfall is that of avoiding or, or falling into the trap, I should say, of putting everything under the banner of concussion. So someone who plays a contact or collision sport and has a headache may be diagnosed as being concussed. And we often forget as clinicians, probably because there's been such a hype around concussion, that there's a whole list of differential diagnoses. And so it's very important to medically evaluate that player and say, hold on, is this actually concussion related or may there be other medical or psychological, emotional causes uh, or musculoskeletal causes for this pain uh, or for the presenting symptoms? So I think making sure that we don't uh, fall into the trap of putting everything under the banner of concussion is also important. And then the final point I would, I would make is to make sure that you assess each concussion in its specific context. So there's certain concurrent medical or psychological or social issues which impact on concussion. Now I think we need to acknowledge that, that there are certain modifiers which will affect the presentation in that individual. And if you don't assess concussion in the context of that particular players' psychological well-being, social context, etc., then they're not receiving the highest level of care. Sure. And for clinicians who might be working pitch side this weekend, what do you, what do you find will present with similar symptoms? What are the most common things that you'll, you'll find? So probably the most common are musculoskeletal problems, particularly cervicogenic, so neck-related neck pain and, and pain of, uh, which has its origin in, in the neck. So quite often there's a lot of neck muscle paravertebral spasm. There may be issues related to the facet joints in the neck. And quite often that results in significant headaches, significant discomfort for the player. And because those are often also contact related or collision related, the two are tied together and it's thought that that player suffers a concussion. Other issues related to uh, concussion, fatigue, etc., may be related just to a lack of fitness, may be related to environmental conditions. 
And then the, the third group that I would highlight are those sort of emotional or psychological background issues. So if you have a player that uh, has an anxiety disorder, they often manifest with a lot of the emotional uh, components related to what might be uh, perceived to be concussion. But to go back to your original point about a low threshold for concussion, I don't think that's a bad, uh, it's a bad tactic, particularly if one's dealing with younger players, particularly if one has less experience in dealing with concussion. Rather have a low threshold and adopt that recognize and remove philosophy. And once they're removed from the risk of re-injury, then I think one's in a better position to institute a much more thorough medical evaluation. And then one can look at the differential diagnosis. Is this cervicogenic? Is it emotional? Is it related to fatigue or other environmental conditions, etc.? But the, the, the recognize and remove philosophy is very, very important, uh, particularly at the lower levels of the game. Sure. And I know during the podcast, you've mentioned a lot of resources there. So we'll make sure that those resources are all linked in the blurb of this podcast. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the listeners will be able to, to implement those if they're working this weekend. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this BGSM podcast. We hope you found it an interesting listen and hope you join us again soon. Have a great physically active day.